On the podcast today, we got a fantastic show lined up for you guys. We talk NBA playoffs. We announce our first major guest that's right off the top. Uh, and then we recorded a bunch of NFL draft talk. We basically did a full first round kind of in-depth preview for both sides of the ball. We went position by position. However, as is uh, natural in this industry, the offensive players basically entirely got cut out. Uh, there was an error in the recording. Stuff happens. So because we did that with all three of us on the pod today, uh, we decided just to cut that out. And we will hit the offensive players on Friday's pod to couple with our uh, our exciting guest. Um, our apologies if anything sounds a little weird. We had some tech issues in the recording, which is why I'm not surprised that there was an issue not only with the recording, but with the microphones as well. But it seems that we were able to kind of sort through that. So we are going to hit the defensive players on this pod. Offensive players will be on Friday. Uh, and then as well as we open up the show, like I said, exciting new guest for Friday's show and NBA playoff first round reaction. So with all that being said, we appreciate you guys for listening. Enjoy the show. Bring it in to the first round edition of the read option. That's right. The first round, first round of NBA playoffs is underway. And we're going to tackle some of the first round prospects for the NFL draft. Just two weeks away, give or take. I actually think it's less than two weeks. It's about a week and a half. Week so, and a half. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Uh, we've got the whole crew here. Scotty Vito, myself. Get amongst uh, it. Got a great show. A little bit of housekeeping before we launch into the pod. Uh, first off, if the auto is a little funky, um, I apologize. I we're having some tech stuff. I have to use a different computer today, uh, and hopefully this will all be sorted out by our next pod. Going to do as much uh, band aid fixing as I can in post op. That's where those producer skills come into play sometimes, uh, and you know makes it a little make it so that way the listener doesn't have to deal with it. So hopefully, uh, if you're hearing this, that means the audio is not great. If you're not, that means I was able to cut this out because everything sounded fine and dandy. Second piece of uh, housekeeping, we have our first major guest coming up on Friday's pod. I wanted to put this right in the beginning, so everybody hears it. Uh, Ryan Leaf, you may know him as one of the biggest busts in NFL history. Uh, I know him as an incredibly talented and uh, thoughtful, caring human being, as well as a phenomenal analyst. And uh, all in all, just a really great person who has a ton of great insight, not only on the draft, on college football, but has an amazing story to tell. You can check out his podcast, Broke, on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, anywhere you get them. He will be joining us on Friday's pod. I'm recording with him Thursday afternoon. So How about that? Get, re get ready for that. We are super excited that Leafy is going to be joining uh, the read option. So, yeah, Washington State Cougar, Pac-12 guy. We're going to get into all that stuff as well as the draft and some of his stories. So we're excited for that. Get ready, Friday's podcast. Uh, as I alluded to at the top, we have NBA playoff action. We have NFL first-round talk. That's what today's pod's going to be. But boys, oh, and hopefully we're going to get to a little bit of random life stuff as well at the end. How are we today? Rainy here in the DMV. 
Uh, I'm assuming it's the same for all of us since we're pretty much all covered by the same kind of rain. It just depends on when we get hit by it. So how are we doing? I'm great. I, you know, I was out in the backyard working all weekend long, and now all of a sudden I'm putting my winter coat back on. It's ridiculous. Figure out a temperature, will you? Um, I never had this problem in California, did we, Vito? No, we didn't. I got to say that. Uh, <laughs> it, it makes me miss home, but, uh, you know. Now, this is this is at least the point where everything's blooming. I don't know about you guys. If you have allergies, this weekend was at least a nightmare uh, yeah. up here. Everything bloomed, got windy. Thankful it's raining it's right now. Let's get it off all these cars and off of everything. But uh, it's nice to see everything blooming. Know the like the weather is actually getting gradually warmer. We're about to hit golf season. Um, it, it kicks off in the masses. About but to. For, for us, <laughs> like for me, I don't know. I haven't been able to get out yet. So uh, I'm hoping to go soon. I think that's just my envy of it. Well, and we will, we will have a read option golf special. We're going to have uh, to get that going here soon on the books. But we'll get it here. We'll, we'll, we'll spend a, a cup, just a couple minutes. Now I was submit, I've been submitted from multiple people suggestions as to where we should go. Uh, whether we decide to do a little DMV special veto comes unto us, whether or not we make our way up to Philly, whether or not we maybe even make our way to the Jersey shore. That was a submission as well. Where do we think is the ideal location for this? Because I'm never never opposed to a little bit of beach golf. Uh, but, you know, we all got to make it work. We all got lives outside of this. Well, you two do anyway. So what are we uh, What are we thinking here as an optimal solution to kind of get the wheels turning? Because Scotty and I did play a Jack Nicholas course uh, not too long ago. That was pretty nice. That I think I think twisting Vito's arm to come down here might, might be worth that. But I don't know. Yeah, that place has some strokes in it, man. No, for, for me, uh, the DMV area is easier, actually, because my clubs are in Cleveland and I can drive down from there and go rather. Yeah, my clubs aren't in Philly anymore. It's difficult, man. It's a hard life out here to be, like try and golf. I'm always in the wrong city when the weather's warm and my clubs are in the other one. Anyway, it's been uh, it's been uh, difficult to, to hit the courses. So uh, I'm you definitely need a second down for the DMV. I know. But then at that point, I'm going to. It's like the biggest built-in excuse. I'll be like, well, my other clubs, my other irons, I actually would have hit those better if I had that today. I would have, like, <laughs> I can't have that excuse. I need to just travel with my clubs a little more. So I'm down Very for a DMV. <laughs> uh, I'm down for a DMV special and uh, hit up a nice course, man. I'm definitely in for that. And that'd be a lot of fun. We can all uh, hang out, get rounds on me. I think I got beers too and a meal. I don't know. I really messed up a lot of bets this past year. So it's time to pay the piper. <laughs> All right. Well, then we'll 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 say tentatively we'll 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 pick a course down here. Maybe a little Blue Ridge Shadows trip. Maybe we uh, we hang up. Scotty and I love that course. Uh, but Potomac Shores, designed by uh, by the Golden Bear, man, that's hard to pass up. So maybe we find our way down there. All right. Maybe. Uh, phenomenal sports weekend. I I need some help reminding this because I went back and I couldn't I, I couldn't remember if this was a new thing or just was happened to be this year. Um, but having the start of NBA basketball on a Saturday for the playoffs was spectacular because it had a little bit of like elite eight or sweet 16 weekend, you know, when it's, there's just game and then another game and then another game and then another game. And you're sitting there for basically 12 hours each day watching just endless basketball and no shame to this, to March madness. We love March madness, but the shot making, the skill level of NBA players, and I know people want to complain, oh, they don't play deep, blah, blah, blah. No, the offense is just so much better. And J.J. Redick, JJ Redick did an amazing job. He and KD did a podcast a couple weeks ago. 
and just shitting on everybody who's like, this is why I like college basketball. They actually play defense. No, dude. NBA players are just really, 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 really good at basketball. And their games are longer, so the scores are higher by nature. Um, how did you guys enjoy the first two days of the playoffs? Because now we're midweek. We get three games a night pretty much for the next two weeks until some of these series start to wrap up. And then we'll have some days where you don't have basketball. But this is such a beautiful moment where every single night in the next two weeks, we're going to have meaningful basketball that is going for, at times, like multiple hours at a time. We're talking about like four or five hours of basketball consecutively. And I just, I love it, man. I'm just get it all over yourself kind of stuff. I mean, yeah, for yep. me, again, as like a more casual fan of basketball, this is the time when I tune in and I'm like grinning ear to ear. If you're watching on YouTube, which if you haven't, check us out on YouTube, subscribe. We have, uh, without a doubt, a great city here in Philly that's just buzzing with the Sixers, especially, I mean, and I'm sure we'll get into some of the different players later and everything, but Maxi went off and the city's just loving it. Um, I have to say what's been great for me is, is again, like you're saying, every night over the next couple of weeks and then eventually it'll still be like every other night. Like this will continue not just on weekends, right? Football's just weekends. And this is something completely different where, you know, a series like this, a series based uh, sport is so fun because you do get great games and multiple rematches back to back to back to back. And it's cool in Philly right now. I don't know if you guys have seen this around you, but I live right outside of a basketball, like uh, two courts um, for basketball courts and around the corner is another two. And this is where like, if you ever see the video of Embiid playing uh, in the streets in Philly, like that's the park right outside my place. They, uh, and what's been so fun is how many people have gone out that are like probably more casual basketball fans and like, oh, we're going to come play. And like, there've been people out there all winter, like playing if they can. And new people are showing up and like my boy, James, friend of the pod, right? He, he got our friend, James got like, said he was walking over. Someone got stuffed and the ball got thrown like across two courts. Like people are like coming into like, Oh, we'll try and play. And the people who are there all the time are just dominating them. And like the heat out there, there's fights going on. It's crazy. So basketball, the heater out there, literal fever is going on in the streets of Philly for basketball right now. How are you guys seeing it? I mean, this has been cool for me and I'm not even a diehard Sixers fan like you, Jeff. It, it, it was spectacular. I mean, like I said, we'll get into some of the specific yeah. games and, and some stuff. We have to talk about Nets, Celtics yesterday, Sunday, which was just unbelievable finish. First home playoff buzzer beater in Boston Celtics history. Which, you think about how long yeah. that franchise has been around, right? And all the, and not only that, ah, they've won as overrated. many. Overrated. No. Um, they've won more as many i think them and the lakers are number one number two like and then it's a large gap between everyone else when it comes to playoff wins and championships so the fact that the celtics have never had that was pretty spectacular i thought the whole weekend was great not all the games were necessarily spectacular the first two games on saturday were awesome games uh minnesota getting the upset over memphis uh and then the, the utah dallas game which for lack of a better word has been lacking star power you know, no Luka Doncic, Donovan Mitchell had a bad game, and yet that game was still fascinating. But all the games that weren't great, they were awesome individual performances, right? Like Chris Paul in that game uh, uh, last night on Sunday night was just on another planet. Uh, and the fact he's doing this at his age is just spectacular basketball. So there's a ton of great stuff. Uh, I want to start, though, with the Celtics and Nets because – Coming into it, that was definitely the most over, I don't want to say overhyped, that was the most hyped up series, right? That was the series that most people were the most excited to kind of get into. 
and it delivered in game one. It, that first game was amazing. We look at this team in the, with the Celtics where it's like, hey, we have one primary guy who's our shot maker who coming down the stretch, got to get the ball to Jason Tatum. And then just a great cast around him. Al Horford had a vintage like Atlanta Hawks, Al Horford type game. Uh, but then you see guys all over. I mean, Jalen Brown, we know he's a really good player. Tatum Marcus is smart. Marcus Smart was amazing, though, mm-hmm. shooting nine threes a game for Marcus Smart's probably not a great strategy. And on the other side, they actually did a really good job of kind of slowing KD down. And Kyrie then also played this flawless game. The, the back and forth between Kyrie and the fans in Boston. I think he told someone to, like, shut the fuck up, suck my dick or something like that. Uh, to, to Boston fans who were booing. They had the double middle fingers in, on the inbound, too. He, he was flipping the <laughs> I love cards. it. The villain coming back. (laughs) I think that is great for basketball, despite Kyrie being as delusional of a human being as he is. Everyone made it out to be like, oh, he stepped on the logo, you know, in his first game back when he was with Brooklyn. And it's like, no, dude, Boston fans aren't pissed because you stepped on a freaking painted leprechaun on wooden floor. They're pissed because you came in at the start of the season in your last year when you were going to be a free agent and you told an entire stadium full of Celtics fans that, hey, if you have me back, I will come back and be a Celtics player, right? Like, and any from the reporting and everything from people who are close to Kyrie and his agents and stuff, he was never, ever coming back to Boston after that season. Never. So he lied to the face of all these people, and yet he still doesn't understand why they can be mad at him. Uh, if I was a Celtics fan, I would do the exact same thing. If this happened in any other city, I would expect them to do the exact same thing. But to your point, this is phenomenal for basketball and it adds so much drama to a series that was already going to be really great just because of the basketball that was going to be played yeah it's for me it's less about the fan interaction than it is about Kyrie doing all that talking smack to the fans and then going out there and putting on the performance that he put on I mean it was unbelievable just to like not only to shut them up verbally but then to to go out there and put on a show in game one of the playoffs against your former team in your former uh in your former house and be in that game as a seven seed and everybody knows they're not a seven seed, but still like for, for him to show up and, and, and back it up with the game that he played on the court was just, it was phenomenal. It was so fun to watch. And I don't even like Kyrie. <laughs> I think it's just going to be a great series. Again, for someone who's getting back into this now, I think what's so great about a weekend like this is we saw so many individual standout performances again from, from, just quite frankly, a lot of smaller players that are faster, which is really fun for me, right? Like seeing Kyrie uh, go in, like Max, all these different guys who who are younger and smaller, which which was a lot of fun instead of just KD doing a turnaround jump fade that like, yeah, he's above everyone when he releases the ball. So it's just, it's a different launch point than everyone else has to deal with. And it was just so fun to see guys making really difficult shots in a playoff intense scenario um, to, for Jeff, to your point back from the start of the segment all day long, like all day long, there was someone that was just going off. It was so fun. Well, that's the crazy part in the, in the four games on Saturday, you had four players under the age of 23 who scored 30 or more in Tyrese, uh, Anthony Edwards uh, for the, for the Timberwolves, John Morant for the, for the Grizzlies and Jordan Poole for the Warriors on Saturday night. Yeah. I, and, and we'll get to the young guys here in a second because this this weekend did feel like the the classic tweet of like 
oh, the NBA is in really good hands. And and I don't say that. <laughs> I say that partially tongue-in-cheek just because I felt like I saw that tweet like a hundred times and like overtime and bleacher report and, and barstool and like every all these major outlets all tweeted the same freaking thing but as a fan it's completely 100 percent true right and that's just like the the guys in the last like two years in the draft like maxi pool and and anthony edwards who all had spectacular days that's not even including the jason tatums and the trey youngs who like i know he didn't have a great game at all um but there's just there's so much talent in the NBA. There's so much talent. And the, that Timberwolves and Grizzlies game was probably my favorite game to watch all weekend because it's just these, it's the first time in NBA history there's a game between two series, or, or there's a playoff game between two teams whose average age is under the age of 25. Wow. That, that says so much about where the league is currently and where the league is going to be moving. Um, and, and, and we're seeing guys become stars right before our eyes. Now, there's a lot of people say like Tyrese Maxey has arrived. I don't know. I, I'm a Sixers fan. I, he's incredible. What he did, 38 points, the joy he plays with, it's amazing. But like Jordan Poole's like the fourth guy on that team still. Yeah, he's yeah. amazing. He, he's, he and he's not going to start when Steph comes back in 100%. Like that's just a fact. Exactly, right? And, and that does say something about the future. These guys all could be great. But we also just got a taste of like, hey, it's not the usual suspects, right? And it's well, all three of those guys are unbelievably likable. And and, and, yet and we still have the old heads in KD and Kyrie and, and Chris Paul and, and Giannis is now in the prime of his career and, and Embiid, you know, the energy Embiid brought in that game. And you still have Harden dishing out 14 assists. Like, yeah, that's just that's what I mean. Like array of talent. Playoff basketball, Maxi scoring 38 points. That means Embiid doesn't have to work as hard in game one of round one, right? Like you're going to need Embiid when you get to, to game seven of the of the semifinals or the, or the conference finals, right? Uh, he doesn't have to work because he had 19 points. Big deal. Maxi had 38. You win a game, you pick up one here, you win this round, you move on. It doesn't have to be Embiid or Harden or, or Tobias Harris every night, right? Uh, those guys on the Sixers. Same thing on every other team. Yeah, I will say Embiid, if anything, I think I tried to work harder in that game because when they've played Toronto over the years, Nick Nurse just blitzes the shit out of Embiid. It's double teams, it's constant pressure. But one of the things Embiid has struggled with, and he and he's openly talked about this, is passing out of double teams. Recognizing like, hey, you know what? I don't have to be the man. But the thing is, is when they've done that in the past, there's always been that six foot ten point guard who's afraid to shoot a basketball. That means that's like, oh, yeah, well, Embiid has to do this. What Harden and Maxi allow for them is that Embiid doesn't have to do that. He can make the right passes like he does in the past. But now you have to keep those other guys honest. So I would expect for, and we're recording before the Sixers tip off here tonight, but I would expect in game two, Embiid's probably going to have a much bigger game because they have to pay more attention to Maxi. They have to pay more attention to Harden, even though Harden shooting wise still hasn't been playing great. And it wasn't really until the Sixers were up like 15 points that Harden was able to score the ball at all. But he did help them ice out the game, which if that's what Harden is able to bring to that team, it makes them even better. Uh, I want to touch on one other thing here with the Nets Celtics before we talk about um, some of the teams that kind of jumped out, some of the most impressive teams compared to maybe some of the games and series that were kind of like meh about. Uh, the Boston Brooklyn series, I'm always fascinated when you have a game one that has this a crazy finish, right? How much of the air gets let out of the balloon? How much does this change 
the way that Boston and Brooklyn, the dynamic of that series. Now, if it was reversed and KD hit a buzzer beater, I think that would hurt Boston a lot more than the Brooklyn Nets losing is going to help or is going to hurt the, the Brooklyn Nets. You know, because KD, Kyrie, they've been there before. They're champions. They've hit, both hit game winners, game enders in game sevens, in game sixes, in the NBA finals. I don't think they're going to be phased by this all that much. But I'm curious about the role players, right? Like Goran Drag- Dragic had like a vintage Goran Dragic performance like he did a couple years ago in the bubble for the Miami Heat. If he's playing that way, that gives them a legitimate, like not third option, but at least like a, a safety valve, another guy that they can rely on. Does this affect how he plays in the game? Is he going to be able to keep the same energy up rather than if they'd pull that game out? You know, human nature tells you the team that loses comes back and is going to play harder than the team that's win. If you're up 2-0, there's no way you're going to be playing as hard as the team that's down 2-0 because the the desperation of being down 2-0-3-0 just drives it that much harder, and that's what makes closing out games so difficult in the NBA, in my opinion. But I don't know, how much does a game winner like that in the garden with all that stuff, how much of that air gets let out of the balloon after what was an amazing first game and definitely the best game of the weekend? I think you have to, as if you're the Celtics, almost let it out of the balloon yourself and forget about it. You got one. Uh, they had way too many turnovers that game. They played relatively sloppy for the for as close as that game was uh, for the most part. Uh, and, and not to, to their fault on offense, I mean – Brooklyn's defense was just swarming all day long. Uh, and they looked good on defense until the very last second when KD fell asleep and let Jason Taylor make that cut uh, to the basket for the buzzer beater. But uh, look, I, you, you have to forget it. And if you're, uh, if you're Boston and, and move on to the next one, like it's a new day. And if you're Brooklyn, uh, this is fuel, man. You had that game. You were going to steal one on the road in game one and then go, uh, go in and, and try to play game two. Uh, dude, I don't know. Um, it, it's it's going to be tough for uh, it's going to be tough for for both teams to uh, to regroup and fight. But uh, but I think you know if you're Brooklyn, like I said, you got to you got to use this as fuel for the fire because you know you had a game uh, that you had in hand that just slipped away at the very end, and you're you're not a seventh seed at the end of the day. You and you have to know that if you're if you're this Brooklyn team. I I think that. This is definitely a, more of a building moment for the Celtics, to your point, Jeff. Like, I think this means more to Boston. The impact of a game one, they're also at home in game two, right? So, like, sticking around. Um, and in that sense, you know, what's going to happen uh, when the Nets have to stay there, right? They're not going home or whatever. They're staying there after the game. They're hanging out in the hotel. They have to wait, and it's pent up. And what's going to come out on the floor on Wednesday is their second game. So, um, we'll see what the Celtics can do in game two, but if the Nets come out here and just take over this game two and it's one, one, that's not good for the Celtics. The Celtics need to figure out a way to get back to back here. They have to. I, I, yeah. I the can... rare round one game where, where both teams could be in the conference finals. <laughs> yeah. I, I tend to agree with you, Vito. I, I think the, the, the differences for Boston they're still a young team that hasn't gotten past, and they've gotten to the Eastern Conference Finals, right? With Tatum, we've seen Tatum have these these mega moments where we're like, "All right, Tatum is here." Mm-hmm. This one felt different, though, right? And and so they do absolutely need to capitalize on the momentum, but I also think they have to do what Scotty said, which is that 
you have to erase that because starting next week, right, you're back to to ground zero. You're you're back to hey, you know, or the next game rather. You're you're back to a 48 minute game, and nothing that matters, nothing happened before this matters. You just have to come out. You have to show out. You have to be great. And I think there's a lot of optimism that Boston can do that. But the thing is, and this is why everyone who thought Boston was going to come in and and roll through Brooklyn, and this is why teams were considering jockeying, is that you still have that 6'11", you know, the Slim Reaper on the other side who's going to be able to put you to sleep. You know, that, and, and with Kyrie too, like Katie's not having multiple games like that in a row. And Katie didn't even play that bad, just considering his standards. They did a good job defensively. Now, I will also say the Celtics didn't have Robert Williams, who is an all-defensive team kind of guy this year, has been a huge reason as to why they had... I heard this stat going into the game, and it blew my mind. Uh, point differential for them this year, right? Aver- like basically average margin of victory, and but if you average it out for the whole season, they were like plus 12.2 or something. If you go just from New Year's on, it's like plus 12.2. The 1996 Bulls were, and uh, the 2016-2017 Warriors were the only two that for the full season were even remotely close. Now, you're cutting off the first you know two months of the season there, first month and a half of the season, in order to justify that. But Boston, since that mark, has been a completely different team. They were floundering in the first part of the season. They've been the best team in basketball since then. You know, they went from being like, in the play-in seeding at that point in the season around Christmas time to finishing as the two seed in a very good Eastern Conference. That number, seeing as the the, the 96 Bulls, the 20, those are like all-time thing, like numbers, and theirs were even better. Their point differential per game is even better than those teams. And that's one of those stats where there's so many numbers in basketball that it's easy to get it in your head and it's easy to get confused by. But the Celtics, to me, are the real deal Winning this first game, if nothing else, gives them that subconscious confidence that's like, hey, we went toe-to-toe with two Hall of Famers, with two guys who were all-time greats, and we won, even though it's close. And the other thing, too, is Adoka, I have no doubt, as as the head coach, the way he's wired, is going to keep them locked in. It does feel like Tatum's hit another level, and this is just going to boost his confidence even more. So the rest of that series is going to be fascinating, and I'm really excited to watch it out. Um Teams that stood out to you guys based off their first game. Now, sometimes it can be dangerous to read too much into the first game, but I am curious, what were some of the standout teams for both of you guys uh, watching this weekend? I hate to jinx it, Scott, but the Warriors. I was surprised with how they came out. They were great. Yeah, like that was really fun. Um, I I love, I mean, Poole was just incredible. Um, Defense, like Draymond makes a huge difference. Draymond when, looked when like Draymond taking up Jokic. Yeah, as did as did Clay. Yeah, yeah. It, it was really nice to see, and hopefully, again in a playoff push where you know um, it's limited, and when you lose, you know, the, in the first series you lose for you, you're heading home. So, like, I like Warriors, and especially the experience they have on their team in a series format. Right, like I just have confidence in them, and if they're starting to gel now, I mean that's amazing, and I'll say something again from just my standpoint, not having watched as many games this year. The Timberwolves, man, they they are just impressive to watch. Like to me, that was an impressive team to watch with Towns and Edwards. Like that was really fun. Um, it was just fun basketball, and again, I think it was great because Jeff, great call out last week with the Grizzlies and John Warren because like Morant because 
watching the Grizzlies was also incredibly fun. Like I'm mad these two teams, I'm glad they're playing against each other. I'm mad that one of them is going to be out of the playoffs next round. This has been like, that was a great game uh, in my opinion, as, as someone who's more casual watching that scoring happen. Yeah, I, I think you're and I, and honestly, I should have thrown in Minnesota too because between Pat Bev and and Anthony Edwards, man, I, number one overall pick two years ago. This is the second season in the league. Six foot seven, freak athlete was actually a highly recruited football prospect. He's a football guy playing basketball. He has this chip on his shoulder, this aggressive style. He's insanely athletic. I mean, he has you know John Morant has taken souls as a dunker. And Anthony Edwards is right there. And what's cool is I think both of these guys, they're they're different players, but they, you know, Anthony Edwards is a better three-point shooter, is bigger, a lot more physical. Ja is just smooth. And yet, like when he had that dunk the other in that game, dude, like that was like a get off the couch kind of dunk where I'm just like, holy shit, like Ja is special, man. And I love Ja. As a team, like when you look at the talent on the floor, it's crazy to kind of say it, but I think. Minnesota is actually a more talented team, right? Carl Anthony Towns has been an all NBA caliber guy for a while now, really, really effective scorer. And I think for uh, Memphis, they don't really have a good matchup for him defensively. Steven Adams, I like Steven Adams, but he's just too slow. I mean, Steven Adams only had like three rebounds in that game. Mm -hmm. This is a guy who was like led the league in rebounding before. Like this is a guy who's as good of an offensive rebounder as they have Minnesota, uh, Memphis as a whole led the league in offensive rebounding. And I, I agree. Now, the one little thing I'll throw out there though, is that we saw Memphis do this exact same thing a year ago when they beat, um, when they beat uh, 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 Utah, sorry, when they beat Utah in the, in game one of the first round, right? They beat Utah after upsetting Scotty's warriors in the playing tournament. And they came in with all this momentum they had been playing. The other team had a little bit of rust, right? Utah hadn't played in, in I think it was like seven days, and you had the play-in tournament. And so you, Memphis was a little bit smoother. They were a little bit, had a, like, you know, and it just kind of took like, a game for Utah to be like, all right, what are we doing here? We need to, we need to just put this team to bed. Um, so I'm, I'm fascinated. Out of all the game twos, that game and then the Boston and, and Brooklyn game are the two game twos I'm most excited to watch. For that exact reason, because if Minnesota shows that they can do it again and that they weren't just riding the momentum that they had from the playing game, because remember, too, when Memphis won, that was the most exciting of the playing games. When Minnesota beat L.A. and they secured their spot, that was the most exciting of the playing games this year. So was it just a momentum thing or are they actually good enough? And, and in a lot of ways, I do think more talented than Memphis. I don't know, because I love Memphis and I love Ja. But if Anthony Edwards is going to do that, it's going to be a really, yeah. really tough game to uh, to show out there. And I'm with you, too, on Golden State. I had Golden State on my list. I thought Golden State looked really good. The only other thing I'll throw out there about that is I also think Denver looked really bad. I, think I was going to say, I couldn't tell which how where that was. So where do you think, like, if you had 100 both. points to give, like, 70 to, you know, mm -hmm. where do you put it? I would say probably 60 40 that golden state golden state's looked way. that good and then denver yeah. just didn't look that because they they ran Jokic off the court you know there's that there's that meme that every philly fan was like you know Embiid flexing and then put the picture of Jokic like laying down on on the bench there like clearly gassed and they're like which mvp would you rather have or, <laughs> or who do you think's the mvp out of these two and it's like just shut the fuck up please just <laughs> 
please just shut the fuck up. All right, Jokic <laughs> is incredible, and he's playing with guys who could be in the G League. All right, like he's not yeah. playing with fucking talent. He's missing his two best teammates and has for the entire season. Michael Porter Jr. got sat up for the season back in December, and Jokic still get that team to the playoff, and not in that Russell Westbrook bullshit way with Oklahoma City a couple years ago. I the Jokic and B thing. I'm sick of talking about it, and I'm sure you guys and everyone else is sick of listening to it. So I'm not going to waste any more time on it. But it was apparent that Jokic, like this to me, that game honestly to me kind of proves just how impressive it is what Jokic did this year. The fact that yeah. that team was out. And for the record, Jokic is going to steal some games in this series. He is yeah. that yeah, good. Absolutely. This is not going to be a sweep. Absolutely. And if there's a, a saving grace, if you're a, a Denver fan listening to this, uh, I'm sorry that that uh, I'm so bombastic about my Warriors against you, but number one. Number two is that their second unit, uh, despite the fact that they were getting they were getting run, uh, late in the game, but their second unit played really, really well. Like they could shoot. Uh, they, they were running the floor pretty well. Uh, and I don't know if that was the, the Warriors second unit not caring because we were up by 20 or, or if it was, you know, I, but that's something you, you know, if you're going to take something from that game as a Nuggets fan, uh, that's it. Your second unit played really well. That's, that's a, a not a very great team, but a, a deep team, I think. And, and uh, I think if, if they can exploit that, and then just go let Jokic do his thing. Uh, if if he can steal some games and and hopefully ball out a little bit for you, uh, you'll be in good shape. Yeah, but Gold, Golden State, I think, with the fact that Clay really started to look good in the last couple weeks of the He's season, back. Draymond <laughs> looks healthy, and the question for Steph them, off the bench. Well, that's the thing. The <laughs> question mean... for them is just going to be how much Steph improves health wise going out, right? Because I think if anything, like I'd be surprised. If he starts in game two, I'd be surprised if he starts in most of this series because I, I think you you want to limit I, his minutes. He didn't look great it, on the court. Steph like was like a ballerina, like tiptoeing around out there. Like it was clear that he came back too early to try to help. But if Jordan Poole is going to be able to give you even 80% of what he gave you in that first game one, then you can rely on that Draymond and Clay history. And, and But the thing with Golden State, and though I love them, it all feels really fragile, right? It, it feels like you, you. we have to be really careful here because Clay is still coming off of two traumatic injuries. Draymond, at this point in his age and how injury-prone he's been over the last couple of years, you have to be worried about it. And the fact that Steph has kind of rushed himself back, one of those guys goes down again or, or Steph, you know, re-aggravates his ankle and all of a sudden now he's not playing, it's really worrisome. It's all good. We got Nemanja Bielitsa. Like, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, that's the guy who dominated Jokic. So, <laughs> but it wasn't just that. It was it was the Golden State <laughs> offense. It's what they've done. It's the ball movement. It's the back screening. It's the cuts. And the fact that they've run it for so many years, those core guys. And Jordan Poole did it all last year when Steph missed the whole season, and it clicked for Jordan Poole. Like he gets how they run that offense. It always ends up having an open shooter. Like I used to say when Golden State was in their peak. The, the best possible scenario defensively against them when they were at their peak, and granted they had Kevin Durant there too, but that was a wide-open Clay Thompson three. Like, that was the best. If you played perfect defense, and we're not talking about, like, steals or blocks or anything, you're just saying, like, all the switches, you're in your position where you need to be. The best possible outcome was one of the three greatest shooters of all time getting a wide-open three. Like, 
that is how this offense runs. And that's why KD wanted to go play there. Not because he wanted to go join up with other great players, but because Steve Kerr, Steph, and that offense runs in such a specific way that was unique and revolutionary at the time with how much ball movement and off-ball off movement that they incorporated. It was just constant like motion, right? It's like playing FIFA when you're just you're constantly trying to have guys moving in and out and you no one ever stood still. But that's also what scares me about, again, there's that fragility that you miss one of those guys who hasn't been playing in that system for a decade, like Draymond or Steph or Clay has. And it could the wheels could come off pretty quickly. Uh, I do want to give shouts to my Sixers. They looked really, really good in game one. Um, and I had said on the podcast last week that the Sixers were either going to come out and look like the best team in the NBA or they were going to get their ass beat. I'm very happy that it was the former and not the latter. But there are a lot of reasons for optimism. Part of that is that Joel and finally was rewarded for making the right decisions that he's made in the past and didn't feel like he had to put up a ton of shots. His presence alone, being the leading scorer in the NBA, being as physically imposing as he is at the rim. I get that Jokic has similar defensive metric numbers as Embiid, and this is where like the Denver nerds are wrong about this stuff, but you can't tell me that when you're charging the lane and you're trying to get to the bucket, that you aren't terrified that Joel Hans Embiid is standing there, that freak of nature Hans? monster. That's his middle name, yeah, Hans. Um, you can't you can't tell me that seeing that guy there doesn't put an extra thought in your brain than seeing Jokic there, right? Because that's what Golden State did. Golden State wasn't afraid to attack the rim. Jordan Poole, all those guys, even Draymond, right? And then you said Bielitsa was doing a great job in the post as well. Embiid makes you think. And in fact, there was even a, a play in that game where uh, I think it was Harden or, or somebody else had a reach-in foul, so the, blow, the whistle got blown dead. And Embiid blocked the shot anyway because the guy kind of like tried to barely throw it up and mb just yammed it straight into the floor and the place went absolutely fucking bonkers two courts right? away <laughs> yeah like he just yeah like Vito was saying like the guy just heated the ball out right and you yeah. walking by on the streets of philly that was because Embiid yeah. did the same thing right <laughs> exactly it's like oh yeah there was a foul in that play but just that like that mental game of like i'm going to physically dominate you in fact uh, Ryan, I was a Ryan Rucco or whoever was doing the play-by-play -play, um, for for the Sixers game. Even said you could hear that ball slap from here, like that's how loud it was, and you could hear it on the broadcast too. So the imposing, the nature of it, the fact that they were double teaming him, I think Toronto has to make adjustments. But to me, Maxi's obviously a big storyline. Tobias Harris having a casual twenty-six points, like the the most casual, low-key twenty-six points I've ever seen scored in an NBA game. And then Harden, 14 assists. Right now, they're just trusting Harden to make the right decisions with the ball. The two-handed, over-the-head, half-court bounce pass to Maxi on the cut was just absolutely filthy. And then, yeah, Maxi putting up 38, hitting a 40-footer. That deep three was out of this world. I was already sitting there. a heat there, check, too. Oh, yeah, <laughs> total. And it went oh, in. Yeah. It was a perfect swish. Yeah. I'm sitting on my couch. By my, I'm literally the only person in my house. I'm sitting on the couch and that goes in. I just go, oh, <laughs> like, and then I look around to be like, did anyone? And of course, I'm literally sitting there by myself. Yeah. But it was so awesome to see like, this is what it can be. Now, the Sixers are going to be in games. Like, I can't imagine Harden playing in that Boston and Brooklyn game. I think Harden gets played off the court in a game like that because 
he is still very lethargic. He is still, you know, I just don't see that version of Harden anymore. But if Maxi, with how electric he is and how fast and you know athletic and everything he can do, it gives me promise that, especially with where the Sixers ended up, like the Sixers could beat the Heat in a, in a seven-game series. I actually do believe that. I don't know if the Sixers could beat Boston or if they could beat Brooklyn uh, or if they could beat Milwaukee in a seven-game series. But there's at least a chance that they could get to the Eastern Conference Finals. Yeah, I mean, uh, from my standpoint, a lot of these games were good. Like you said, it was the first round. So the first game of the first round, a lot will be told by the time we get to the game threes of each series, right? Is mm-hmm. it like that? If it's 3-0, it's done. If it's, uh, you know, 2-1, who's leading? And like that's that pivotal game three is always what it comes down to, especially starting off a series like this where talk about the Heat and the Hawks. Like Heat just came out and they're blown out. And now it's like, all right, well, what will happen? Is Atlanta going to actually put something together? Same with honestly, like dude, the Raptors, like you guys, it, I think what was really impressive when I was looking at some things after this game, which I didn't realize to go, just finish up on the Sixers is that not only did the Sixers just dominate the first half, which is awesome. They haven't gone out to some great leads, but they actually won the second half too, by two points. So like they actually won each quarter. And, and that's something that, Sixers fans and being in Philly, I can tell you is not always happened recently, right? Like the, the blown like leads and everything. And that's, that's a case against a good team that like, okay, we're putting something together now a little different mentally and, and they're having a good run and, and actually having, you know, the scoring last all game, the defense last all game, which is impressive. And I'll, I'll say this too, you know, we have the concern still of, well, once Philly goes to Toronto, there's no Thibault, right? Thibel didn't start in this game, which for the most part, when everybody was healthy, the Sixers started Thibel and had Danny Green coming off the bench. Danny Green got the start in this game. Thibel came off the bench. He played 19 minutes, uh, but which was the sixth most on the team. So yes, losing Thibel in those games is going to matter. He had a steal. It wasn't like a vintage Thibel all over the place defensively kind of game. So they will miss him to an extent, but and this is the unfortunate side for Toronto, Scotty Barnes, that ankle injury looked really tough. And I've seen guys step on other people and roll their ankles. Uh, I've never seen something like that where Embiid was looking up the ball, stepped down and forced the ankle into that way. That's going to be a really, really bad ankle sprain. I highly doubt we see Scotty Barnes for the rest of the series. And then Thad Young, who former Sixer, love Thaddeus Young, but He's a guy who was just a role player for Toronto, but someone they kind of needed. And then Gary Trent was like coughing and holding his chest all game. Like there was seemed like there was something, I don't know if he had the flu or had something else. It wasn't COVID related. So I don't know what exactly happened there with Gary Trent, but those are three important role players for them. And, and on top of that too, like Fred Van Vliet did not have a great game. And if Fred Van Vliet's not going to have, I mean, Fred Van Vliet was minus 19 in this game. Um, yeah. Pascal Siakam, who early on was hitting a bunch of jump shots, and his stat line, you look at it, it's like, oh, it's not bad. 19, 9 of 18, two, 1 of 2 from 3, 5 of 5 from the line, 24 points, you know, 7 assists. He was minus 19, too. So I just don't know if Toronto, like, Toronto doesn't have the, th- like, if you were to rank the most talented players in this overall team, like, in this, in this series, I think Philly has the top three. And that's usually a massive indicator of how a series is going to go. So even if Philly yeah. doesn't win this, I still feel like to win tonight. I do still feel good about them, but I think they come out tonight and I think they keep that same energy. It was very eye-opening. I saw uh, in the press conference, 
Tobias Harris was saying that like this week of practice was crazy. He was like, the last week was aggressive. He's like, we were at each other's throats. We, everybody is locked in. The Harden thing is always going to be a question mark for me. I just don't trust him until I see him do it. You know, he can have a bad game and totally check out. But if he's still going to be setting up Tyrese Maxey or if he's still getting wide open threes, I'm still going to take Harden in those types of situations. But it does feel like there's this little like, hey, why isn't anybody talking about us? Like, we have as much talent. We have who should be the MVP. We have this young star. We have a former MVP on our team. Why is nobody talking about us? Why are we the fifth best team odds-wise to win or to make it to the finals out of the Eastern Conference? And I think Philly really gives a shit about that stuff. Yeah, and leave it to Doc Rivers to to use that as motivation for for that squad. I mean, that that's that's where he made his bread and butter as a as a head coach, uh, particularly the postseason. So, I uh, well, the sky's the limit, really. I mean, the, the Sixers to me have the highest ceiling in the playoffs right now. They do. They have the highest ceiling and the lowest floor, which is pretty wild of, of like teams that you think are like potential contenders. Like, absolutely have the highest ceiling. Absolutely the lowest floor. The most surprising thing about this game was that Doc Rivers outcoached Nick Nurse. That doesn't make any sense to me. That that a doc and a nurse walking into a walk into a gym. <laughs> that's why we pay you the big bucks. Oh, damn, that was good. That's <laughs> that's why, that was that's, a nice one. That's that's why. How about that? The big bucks on this podcast. Um, any other stuff here from the first round of the NBA playoffs? We didn't really talk talk much about Miami. Um, I do think it's worth noting that I think no one's talked about Miami all year. And they are a problem. Um, Duncan Robinson was an absolute flamethrower yesterday. But, and I'll say this too, the Hawks got screwed over. They had to play in a game, basically like a game seven on Friday night. And then they had to play the 1230 Eastern time game on Sunday morning, basically. So No Clint Capella. <laughs> and, and no Clint Capella too, which hurts them. I, I think it's more that Miami is just that much more talented than, than Atlanta. And once you take out Trey Young, there's no one else on that team that scares you. Um, definitely not like one on one. If Trey Young's cooking, then he can get everyone else involved. But there's no one else on that team that really scares you. Gallo took a big kind of cliff dive this year from the guy he had been for the last decade. And Capella, you know, if nothing else, is just a rim runner and, and a decent defensive guy who can be a body in long arms to help protect the rim a little bit. So, uh, I think that series will look a little bit more competitive in round two. I do want to give a shout-out to the Chicago Bulls, by the way. The Bulls were the one seed for the first half of the season in the Eastern Conference, and they got wrecked with injuries, and they really haven't had most of their full lineup. They damn near stole that game from Milwaukee. And the job they did on Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday, who at at one point in the early fourth quarter had a combined nine points. I mean, those Uh, are two guys who were like all-star caliber guys. Those are two guys who have... Won a cha- you know, won a championship last year. The Chicago Bulls showed out and played their asses off for a team that everybody's written off. I still think Milwaukee, especially since they ended up winning game one, will cruise. I don't think they'll be challenged all that much. But the Bulls do deserve credit because since the, they kind of hit that injury wall, which is about three months ago, they've been arguably the worst team in the Eastern Conference. Um, they went from, like, the best team to start off and then the exact opposite in the second half. And for them to show out and Alex Caruso, love Alex Caruso, um, it, that was a fu- that was a surprisingly really fun game to watch yesterday. So shout out yeah. to the Bulls. I, Milwaukee will still win, but still shout out to the Bulls. Um, any other prevailing thoughts before we take a break and talk NFL? Once, Warriors and six, twice, sold. I think I think it could be Warriors and five. 
Uh, let's take a break. Oh, I'm in the final spin. Let's take a break. <laughs> we'll uh, we'll come back here. We are going to preview. Uh, not we're going to preview what we think will be a lot of guys who are going to go in the first round. The NFL draft, just about 10, 11 days away. Uh, anyone who knows this pod knows we are massive draft guys. So we're excited. We were we were talking in the break here before we started recording the segment. This is a pretty unique year because a lot of teams have multiple first-round picks. And because of that, that means a lot of teams don't have any first-round picks. And more than I can ever remember, there are eight teams with two first-round picks and there are eight teams that don't have first-round picks at all. So the eight that have multiple are the New York Giants, the New York Jets, the Eagles, the Saints, the Chiefs, the Houston Texans, and the Detroit Lions. The teams without a first-round pick include the Chicago Bears. I said that weird. The Chicago Bears. Uh, the <laughs> Chicago. Denver, the Chicago They're feminists. Bears. Yeah, they are. Very progressive. Uh, the Chicago Bears, the Denver Broncos, the Browns, the Dolphins, the Chargers, the Raiders, the 49ers, and the Rams. None of those teams have first-round picks. A lot of teams have multiple. I'm curious what you guys think here because we know how much first-round picks can swing a team, and obviously there are teams that we have better, more trust in drafting in the first round than others. Like I, The Giants haven't proven to be great at drafting, but they have a new front office there. The Jets have been a little, little hit, or, uh, hit or miss. The, C- the Seahawks have been a little hit or miss. Uh, the Texans, who knows what they're going to do. Um, how much of this do you think could affect, like, what's the immediate impact of that? Are we going to see, like, a, a, a swing of a game or two, potentially, for some of these teams that have multiple first-round picks, compared to the team like, you know, the Niners, who still aren't sure what they're doing at quarterback, who, as you said, Scotty, aren't picking until, like, the mid to late 60s. How much of an impact do you think we see here off of some of these teams? Because for Seattle, remember, they made that trade for Jamal Adams. They didn't pick until the third round last year, and it definitely hurt them. I think it's almost more pressure because you have to hit on both of these guys that you're picking uh, in the in the first round particularly, right? Uh, <clears throat> and what I think that's going to end up making happen is that there are going to be more of these value guys available to teams like the Niners and the Broncos who don't have a first round pick at all uh, that are, are going to be able to wait back and see what's played out in front of them and be like, all right, here are our needs. What do we got in front of us? Uh, what value can we assess? Uh, because as we've all seen in, in NFL draft history, people reach, right? Like there, there's going to be some quarterback reaches. There's going to be some, some other position and we'll get into these positions uh, in a little bit here, but uh there's going to be some reaches, uh, I think, and, and that, that'll that leave some value guys on the board for some of those teams that aren't drafting in the first round. Yeah, to me, this is the Stafford effect, right? This is what happens when someone tr- makes a trade and the quarterback ends up working out, and now all of these teams this offseason making trades. Like, I wonder how many teams had first-rounders even at the end of the, of the year, Like, right? A lot of these t- trades have happened since free agency opened before the draft, which... To me, I mean, yeah, there were always trades that would happen around now, but there have been a lot. And again, for a quarter of the NFL to have two first-round picks, a quarter of the NFL to have none, though a lot of those teams, like the Broncos, right, we traded ours to go get Russell Wilson, and a lot of people traded theirs to go get somebody. Um, now, I think the, the what the effect is, Jeff, to your point, I think these teams with two first-round picks, 
I could see a lot of trades happening on draft day, Scott, like you were saying, to reach up. I could also see a lot of these people um, in the front offices making, I would say, best uh, available picks because they know, like, all right, one of these picks is going to be a position of need or whatever it is. And I do think a lot of um, the reaches that you'll see will be from teams with one pick, right, where they have to make a decision because they need this position. And I think teams with two, especially teams like Kansas City's back-to-back at the end of the round. The Eagles, Jeff, I think are, what, 16 and 18 now after the last trade? Something like that. So there's a lot of... uh, 15 and 18. 15 and 18, thank you. And so a lot of these teams, right, are going to have multiple opportunities, and I don't think we'll see as many reaches. I do think we'll see a couple trade-ups and trade-downs. But um, we've talked about first-round and second-round and even third-round picks and how much of an impact they can have on your your team in their first year or two, definitely by their third year. And I mean, you look at some of these teams, not only do a lot of these teams that have traded away, key players have multiple first rounds. They'll have multiple seconds, right? They'll be able to build depth right away, Jeff, to your point. So I think a lot of these teams like Detroit, who, even though they were extremely uh, poor on the field this year, the fact that they have two first rounders and um, an early second, right? That's three really skilled players that they're going to add to their team. Uh, those are the teams that I think you'll see make a, a pretty big change. Well, it's interesting. It's, Go ahead, Scotty. It's a weird group, too, because there's like there's teams that need everything. Like you're talking about like your Detroits and your Houstons of that group. And then there's teams that need targeted skill positions, like Kansas City. Like, uh, I mean, even those teams that need everything need those targeted skill positions. Uh, and, and so so I think there's, there's going to be a lot of like what we we would rank as our top 10 at, at wide receiver or at uh, at corner at safety coming off the board really quick and then there's going to be all right oh what's left for for everyone else yeah I, I i could also see too i could see teams like a great example would be like the new orleans saints right the saints i don't think are going all in on Jameis for the future i'm sorry Bito. Um, hey it's their loss no worries <laughs> but they now have two mid, mid-tier mid first rounds, right? So they could package that and try to move up if they fall in love with somebody. Or they can look at that and say, hey, we love Matt Corral, right? We think Matt Corral, middle of the first, mid to late of the first round, which I really like Matt Corral, but it seems as though his stock is kind of dropping a bit. Or Kenny Pickett, right? Or one of these guys that they think they'll be able to get in the middle of the first round at 16 or at 19. And then also get a really good player, too. So they can take the reach while still feeling secure about making sure that they're drafting somebody who's going to help progress their football team. A team like Detroit, who has three picks in the first 34, I don't see them drafting a quarterback. I see them going and getting three really good players, whether it's Aiden Hutchinson, number one, right? Or, you know, Regardless of who it is, they're going to get somebody there at the t- or number two. They're going to get somebody up there who's going to be able to help them right away. And then they can get picks at 32 or 32, which is the Rams pick. And then again at 34, who are going to be good value, really talented players to help build that team in preparation for next year when the quarterback class is significantly better. And even though they have a bunch of young talent between, you know, Jeff Akuda and then they got Penny Sewell last year, if they get, you know, Ahmad Sauce Gardner, right? Or if they, they get uh, a Hutchinson who falls to them or they draft another defensive lineman or another player that they really like then they'll be able to build that talent up for then next year, assuming that they're still going to be in that first five pick range. Cause I don't think they'll improve that much by adding those guys that then they can go and be like, Hey, we can go and 
put all the chips in the table for Bryce Young. We can go put all the chips on the table for, you know, if DJ Uyunglele has a big bounce back year this year, right? Or or CJ Stroud or one of these guys who's going to be coming out and what is looked at as a very deep quarterback class moving forward. So it's a fascinating dynamic and what is already a really fascinating draft to begin with. Let's talk positions. Defensive side of the draft here uh, as we start to wrap up the pod today. Um we're going to start here with the defensive line. So we're just going to kind of combine your edge guys with your D interior guys for the interior. We'll start there just because I think there's less of them. Um, it's really like two names that really kind of get you fired up. Um, ironically, they're both from Georgia. In fact, three out of the top four ranked on CBS are both uh, are, are Georgia guys, Trayvon Walker, Jordan Davis, and Devontae Wyatt. Obviously Jordan Davis is the name that most people have, have fallen in love with uh, Trayvon Walker, a little bit, undersized in terms of weight a little shiftier speedier both those guys are going to be really good uh boy mafi from um minnesota is the other guy in that list and then you get to really like miyaji uh Maji sanders he's the interior defensive lineman from cincinnati i'd have a little bit of pause with him just because it, it really didn't feel like when he got matched up against alabama that he was as impactful that was the one area that alabama really seemed to kind of run them off the field and i do think that kind of hurt his uh draft stock um of those guys who's who's the guy that you would most want to take for the interior defensive line jordan davis to me i mean the guy's he's so big um and he plays he moves so well with that weight he's a guy who you would expect to just plug up i think he's 340 so you expect him to just plug up the defensive side right and just just hold on to two guys in the offensive line but he moves well like laterally especially against the run um he is absolute incredible uh footwork and like leverage uh for someone that big I, I think this is a guy who i would i would move up and get like i think he's that special um there's there's not a guy i think that you move up and get on the offensive side for this draft but he's a guy i would actually move up and get my only concern with jordan davis is and again i love jordan davis too but 340 is what he weighed at the combine that's not what he played at jordan davis played at like 360 to 380 and we saw in the sec championship game alabama tired his ass out made him run sideline to sideline and he played less than 50 percent of the snaps i've used that stat so many times on this pod but there's a reason because that's a big deal and if he plays at 340 when he ran that sub five second 40 time when he did all that crazy shit and, and his three cone and all those other you know drills that everybody was salivating over his numbers if he plays it that way, I agree. He's an absolute game changer because of everything you just said. But if he doesn't keep his weight under control and he tries to play at 360, he's not going to be able to play more than half the snaps for you. And I, I, we all kind of agree that, like, yeah, the, the Chargers makes the most sense. But, like, Trayvon Walker played every single snap. Trayvon Walker is not necessarily a better athlete, but a better conditioned athlete for most of their season. So as much as I do love Jordan Davis, and I agree with you, if you're talking upside, he is the guy I would want to go after. He's the guy I would, I would like to take the risk on. Yeah. But there is risk involved as to whether or not he's going to be able to play and, and keep his body in shape enough to where he can be as impactful as he potentially might be able to be. As long as he doesn't pull a Hainsworth and show up at like 380 and can't pass a physical, you know, yeah. we'll call it. No, I, I, I still think that's one of the most wild thing in sports, but um, – I, I his I would say this too. He's one of the only guys I could see that could fit a three four nose tackle position, and that's I think what's hard. Like 
so Scotty, your Niners, right? We took the Broncos took your your nose tackle. Like this is a guy who I think plugs in and could at least to your point, Jeff, even if he's not in the best shape, he can put sixty percent or seven sixty to seventy percent of regular season reps at a nose tackle spot and just say plug the run, stop chasing shit down so much. Like we need you to focus in between the tackles and stop mm-hmm. like going crazy. But uh I, I agree with all your points, Jeff. There's risk and that's why to your point earlier about like quarterbacks, to me, for some reason, I value defensive tackles so high because they affect both the run and the pass game. And the run game, if you can shut that down and make it seem one-dimensional, you've won a, a, a hard, um, I would say, chess game as a defensive coordinator, right? You know what you have to play a little more. Um, and so that's that's why I go with him. Well, look what, at all what the, do you guys like, think? Look at like the previous champions of, of the last you know seven, eight years in the NFL, right? They all pretty much have at least one really really good or at least a perfect fit at interior defensive line it's a spot you know like if you're going to talk about like the trey flowers right and guys like that for um uh for like new england uh who's the and kyle van noy another one too right like not necessarily like a, a pro bowler but like a guy's there and then you look at fletcher cox you look at chris jones you look at aaron donald like it's a point of emphasis for all of those teams so the interior defensive line is i think we're realizing if you get an elite guy there, it's just as important. It can be just as impactful as the stud D end, which we all valued for so many years as being, oh, you need to get your your Reggie White or your Julius Peppers. or You know, you have to get a guy like that. They matter and they help a ton, but depth and rotation at those positions can oftentimes offset that if you have a stud in the middle of your defensive line. Yeah, it also helps if you have guys who can run both, like guys who can are really good at pass rushing, long and athletic, uh, but guys who are also big enough who can who can get in there and stuff the run too. That that can play both both end and and tackle a little bit, interior tackle a little bit. And that's, uh, and that's the creativity you can get. I, I'll say it forever, right? We're talking about you know uh, Brandon Graham, Brandon Graham. They shift to the inside, yeah. and mm-hmm. on the play that he goes and gets the strip sack on Brady, like ultimately those things do matter. And Aaron Donald's as good of an example of that as there is in the league, though he's as good of an example yeah. as pretty much anything. And I think that's where you're going to get value out of guys uh, like like to Marvin Leo uh, out of out of Texas A and M or Zachary Carter out of uh, out of Florida, who are who are guys who can play. Trayvon Walker is yeah, Trayvon Walker, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, But those are guys who can play who can play both interior X and and the edge and and make you think or run stunts or or do whatever they need to do in the right system. So still love Jordan Davis though because he's just if he's right he is uniquely special. Um, let's talk about some of the edge rushers. Aiden Hutchinson is the projected and uh, presumed number one overall pick. Um, Kayvon Thibodeau was that a year ago, but we all know what kind of changed there. Um, Jermaine Johnson out of Florida State. Love him. Character guy as well as just a, a freak athlete who you can not only use as an edge guy, but you can actually drop him back. Uh, and then George Karloftis out of Purdue. Those are the guys we're talking about being – uh, great real, freak like, yeah <laughs> those are the guys we're talking about being like first round picks now now there's a chance somebody takes a flyer on ojabo uh obviously sad store with him tearing his achilles in uh his pro day uh which is just awful dude was lock of a top 15 pick and now likely probably will be a second round pick likely a day two guy uh which which just is is an absolute shame um aiden hutchinson and I've been very vocal about it on this podcast. I, I get all the hype, and I get how disruptive he can be. Going back and watching the tape of that game against Georgia, I was probably a little too harsh on him 
Um, they schemed a lot to take care of Aiden Hutchinson in that game. He didn't get a ton of one-on-one opportunities. When he did, he didn't capitalize on it, which I do th- I do think says, you know, something. But at the same time, if you're getting double teamed or you're getting chipped every time you're coming off the edge, you're just going to be exhausted. And they were getting beat so bad in that game. Um, but again, it's the makeup. It's the Michigan man. It's all this stuff that we people have fell in love with Aiden Hutchinson. I do still think it was preposterous that he went to New York for the Heisman ceremony. That was a thousand percent storyline only thing. Yeah. Um, but he did have a really good season. He broke Michigan's sack record. He broke his, broke his dad's sack record, which was cool. I do think Aiden Hutchinson has a chance to – well, not just chance. I do think he will be a very good pro. Do I think he will be Nick Bosa or TJ Watt or Joey Bosa or you know one of these elite-level edge guys? I don't. I, I don't think he's that. Um, but I do think his floor to me is so high – that I think he's going to come in and from day one be a productive player and, and is worthy of going number one overall, though I might look elsewhere depending on, obviously, the team and situation. I, I think that's a, a great point because, to me, what he reminds me of, I think he has he's a plug-and-play guy, very high um, floor, to your point. He reminds me almost of Taylor Lewan, the tackle for the Tennessee Titans, hmm. who's from Michigan, on the inverse side, where he's going to be there for seven, eight, nine years. He's going to start. He'll make a few Pro Bowls. Like somewhere he's never going to, you know, be the guy who's an all pro, right? But he's going to be consistent and a guy who your team loves and may end up a captain. And like, that's what Aiden Hutchinson brings to your team. And so for the Jaguars who are picking first, um, (laughs) they could use some captain and some leadership qualities right now all over their roster. So these are the kind of people to your point, Jeff, when, Hey, let's talk about talent or the, or, or, you know, this, if you can find guys with both, that's who the Jacksonville Jaguars should definitely select, especially with the first pick. So f- that's why I think it's a safer pick than a lot of others. Well, and him, him matched up with Josh Allen will be really fun. Oh my God. Josh Allen is, is a stud, but he's, he's again, getting double teamed all the time. Uh, they're going to have some guys who can rush the passer, no doubt. So I, I'm with you. I, I think it's a good pick for Jacksonville. It's leadership. It's a guy who you can add to the stable of, you know, hey, we're, we're bringing in guys who are going to be leaders. I think, honestly, a pretty good comp for him would be like Chris Long. You know, yeah. like, you know now, granted, I think Aiden Hutchinson's a much I, better athlete. You know, yeah, he's exactly, but he's still. Six, he's 6'7". Six, you know, Chris <laughs> Long is like 6'4", six, 6'5". Six, um, so we're, we are talking about stronger faster than chris long but just that idea of consummate pro is going to play in the league for a really really long time and is going to be productive the entire time i think aiden hutchinson falls in that category uh let's move to Kayvon thibodeau mm-hmm. because he's a fascinating prospect here uh his stock has drastically dropped and i get why right you know he's not he seems to be not the character guy right but i do try not to be too you know when a guy's a high-character guy, I think assuming somebody's the opposite can be a little unfair, right? I, I don't think it's necessarily fair to say, oh, he's going to be a bad guy or he's selfish, unless I know firsthand or, or, or know that that is kind of how this person is or we have enough proof of it. Um, I'm going to give Kayvon Thibodeau the, the benefit of the doubt and say that just the football player is an electrifying athlete, is ridiculously fast, and will no question be a good player in this league. He's a little one-dimensional. He doesn't have all of, like Aiden Hutchinson can do all of the moves. He's got a full arsenal of of hand stuff he can do with his hands, 
um, the bull rushing side, right? He can do all that. Kayvon Thibodeau is, is a pure speed, outside, bend-the-corner, freak athlete kind of guy who is going to help it. And, and we just mentioned Josh Allen. That's very similar to what Josh Allen was. The only difference there is that Josh Allen just had that, like, nasty fight dog in him. We just haven't seen that from Kayvon Thibodeau, and part of that is situational. Um, but when he played, he was absolutely disruptive and really productive. And I, I think Kayvon Thibodeau still has a really, really good chance to be like an elite player. There are people who are comparing him to Jadavian Clowney like it's a bad thing. Jadavian Clowney was a fucking Whoa. awesome yeah. throw for a yeah. long time. And still <laughs> I'll is, take Jadavian right? Clowney any day. Now, does Kayvon Thibodeau want to be bigger and better than that? I would think so and hope so. But I think that is a, a pretty fair comp. To say that, yeah, you know what, Jadavian Clowney is a guy who, even though he never puts up the big sack numbers, always is high in QB pressures, is always disruptive, and has worked with double teams his whole life. So if Thibodeau can be like that, though, he's not quite as, you know, beefy, for lack of a better word, as, you know, uh, 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 Jadavian was, I think Thibodeau can be a really good pro. Yeah, I I, I don't see the... (laughs) This, we're going to see this a lot like with, with guys like this, right? It's all about the, the attitude and the, the, the branding uh, and, and that sort of thing. We're seeing this a lot with Zion in the NBA, right? Uh, where it's like, uh, I need to be in the right system. I need to be in the place where it's going to be the best fit for me, uh, which is all fine and good. Uh, but from a, a football perspective, the guy's talent is, is just, it's mesmerizing. And, and so and this is one of the the unseen variables of the draft is like you as an NFL team do all your evaluations all this stuff uh, but do you have the personnel on your staff to be able to look that rookie in the eye and go hey shut the hell up this isn't about you this is about us and the other 52 guys on this roster so get with it or get out and and i think to to that's you know why his stock is falling is because not a whole lot of teams want to deal with the attitude bullshit straight from the from the jump. Uh, and, and you know if, if if they find the right fit, and I think you might get a good value pick in the in the five to ten range uh, for him because I think he's a legitimate top three talent. Um, I, I I think he he'll be a very not only a very productive player but a very uh, successful uh, player in in all facets of, of the game, attitude, uh, championship caliber attitude and otherwise yeah i i hope so for his sake um the only so this is interesting now because with with the jabo being out the guy who i I would actually take ahead of Kayvon thibodeau um or at least would would really heavily consider it is jermaine johnson out of florida state a lot of similar attributes though Kayvon thibodeau i think just from like a combine standpoint is going to flash more jermaine johnson is i i just use josh allen to compare him to Kayvon thibodeau i think jermaine johnson the second is we're talking about like a like a carbon copy 11 and a half sacks um, <laughs> super productive played you know in the acc played for mike norvell uh team captain everything you kind of want out of the kid is there and he's, he's you know playing to his senior year his draft stock went from being like a mid third to fourth round pick to being a lock first rounder and the ojabo injury you know ultimately does help with that Jermaine Johnson, I think, is going to be an awesome pro, and, and he's the guy that I, I think I'm most excited about. Like, I know what Aiden Hutchins is going to be. I know Kayvon could go in a couple different directions, but I'm really excited to see what Jermaine Johnson does. And I'll see where he goes, too, because that can be a part of it as well. You know, if, if we talk about him going, you know, to the Giants like Mel Kuyper has, like, that could be a good fit. Atlanta, 
They can always use help on the defensive side of the ball. Seattle needs depth there. The Jets, who have a bunch of young talent around them, right? I wouldn't be surprised if they took a shot on a guy like that as well. Um, but I, I don't think it, we will wait long on that Thursday night to see where Jermaine Johnson ends up. Mm-hmm. Um, let's, uh, let's move to the line, linebackers, which is uh, my favorite position here in football. Um, there are two guys at the top who I think are both going to be first-round picks, and I think if they're not, it's a mistake. Um, Nicobe Dean out of Georgia and Devin Lloyd out of Utah. We talked about Devin Lloyd a little bit a couple weeks ago. Um, just his story and everything is so fascinating to me, and I'm definitely going to talk about Devin Lloyd with, with Ryan on uh, on Friday's pod. You know, the guy was was a converted, you know, safety in, in high school, had all this length and size, and, and, and Kyle Whittingham saw in Devin Lloyd what he could be, which was just an absolute, like, game changer on the defensive side of the ball on a really good Utah team too, like – Utah's defense, that that hard-nosed Kyle Whittingham style, that translates to the NFL. And Devin Lloyd also has all the athleticism. He's 6'3". He can fly around the field. I'm a big Devin Lloyd fan here, and I think his body's going to continue to develop. And then N'Kobe Dean's the other guy, right? Like, N'Kobe Dean doesn't run super fast. He's 5'11", so he's on the shorter side. But when you watch Georgia play... It doesn't matter if you're if you're slower in a 40 time or, or even on field speed is slower. If you're the first one to make the move, if you're the Dude. first one there, the difference from a 4-4 to a 4-5 doesn't matter because he is just the first one in the hole on every single play. It looks like everyone else is playing on a half second delay. It looks like he, he it's like in Madden where like, the old or in the old NCAA where you get the like it would tell you the play sometimes before it happened if you had enough level like he seems to have watched so much tape he knows what's happening and you'll see when the snap moves he reacts like at the same time if not before running back to get to a hole or he sees the fullback and then knows exactly what's happening the dude is so he plays so fast to your point it does not matter what he runs I don't care the guy and the way his brain works. That's why I want him. And I would take, that's another guy. Like it's almost like what we saw coming out of last year with Micah Parsons. Parsons is a lot more athletically freaky, I would say, but at the same time, like the instincts were there and at middle linebacker, you take the guy with instincts. It's like, a, it's the quarterback of the defense. It's same with, I would say safety in some ways. Right. But like you, you to pick guys at those three spots that just play by their instincts because if you have good football instincts and you're responsible for the defense, you will make sure everyone's lined up. You're the one making the calls. That's what's important, especially at the middle spot. And I think Nicobe Dean can be that for a long time. And to your point, I love Devin Lloyd too. I'm really, really excited about the middle linebackers coming out of this class and outside linebackers, like true ones, not just edge rushers. We have some really quality linebackers coming out of this draft. Yeah. Uh, shout out uh, Brandon Smith and Arlen Lampikita who are, are going to be called on uh, probably night two and three yeah. uh, Penn Staters. Uh, but those, those are guys who, who also have the good instincts, but yeah, that that's what it takes, you know, in the NFL, uh, these, these middle linebackers don't just you look at a guy like Fred Warner uh, who goes sideline to sideline and can also rush the passer. Uh, sorry to bring up another 49er. I know you guys here at ad nauseum, but like, uh, that's a guy who's one of the, the best linebackers in the NFL for a reason. And he's one of the best interior linebackers. He's one of the best uh, outside linebackers because he can play both in a three, four and in a four, three, um, which the, with the Niners run both. Yeah. Um, and so, so yeah, that's, that's what you need is that, that, that jump off to be like, all right, I know what's going on in front of me uh, and I can decide whether to drop back or, or 
or play the rest. It's yeah, Trayvon, <laughs> Nakobe Dean rather. I'm sorry, I was thinking of Trayvon Walker. Uh, Nakobe <laughs> Dean is uh, is is one of those just, guys. Absolutely, just so many guys on that Georgia yeah. defense. Oh, it's that defense blend together. So yeah, I think with Nakobe <laughs> Dean too is Nakobe Dean will step in on his first game and have the green dot on the back of his helmet. Yes. Oh yeah. Like, yeah, no and and that he, says yep. that says a lot about it. And honestly, I haven't been this excited about a rookie linebacker. Um, talking about like a pure inside guy since Roquan Smith, who also came out of Georgia a couple of years yeah. ago. And you know, not to toot my own horn, but I feel like if there's a position I hit more accurately than any, it's middle linebacker, it's inside yeah. linebacker. That's what I play. Jeff, it's where my eyes go when I watch teams play and I watch teams' defenses. I look for where that first step in their flow is. Right. They, if, if they are up in front of it, if their first step is good and the Kobe Dean's like first three steps are always perfect because he's in on every single play. Yeah. And, and the same thing is just, I say with Devin Lloyd, like Devin Lloyd might be a little bit more of a project um, because he is newer to the position, but he still played three years, started the last two and was a huge reason why that Utah defense was as nasty and as good. Like he just, there's no, like, if you look at this, this draft, there's no one else on that Utah defense that's going to be drafted in the first two or three rounds. And yet they were one of the best defenses in college football last year. And when you watch them play, it's so apparent that Devin Lloyd is just jumping off the screen because it's like, who's that guy who's just in everywhere? And when you focus in on the linebackers, he's out in front of everything. His instincts are there. I think the football IQ is this part that has gotten better and will continue to get better as he gets older. But Nakobe Dean's already there on both sides. He just doesn't have the build that Devin Lloyd does. Like, if Nakobe Dean's brain could be transplanted into Devin Lloyd's body, we're talking about a top 10 pick easily. easily. Yeah. Prototype. So, Jeff, uh, inside linebackers is one of the Eagles' biggest needs. Yes. These two guys are off the board at 15 and 18. Who do you take? Um, Who's your next guy? <laughs> that's a tough question because there's a bit of a drop-off. Um, I'm intrigued by the kid out of Montana State, Troy Anderson. Um, I watched him play JMU in, um, in in the FCS like quarterfinals, I think it was. Um, now he got hurt early in the game. Uh, Troy Anderson, intriguing player, but again, the speed of the game and all that stuff. I, I just, I mean, he was a game wrecker from inside linebacker, which on any level is impressive to me. So I, I'm intrigued by him. But the name I would go with is Christian Harris from Alabama. I wouldn't take him in the first round. I would wait until the second or third round to take, you know, to take my shot on him. Uh, just Alabama player, but again, another dude who jumps off the tape when you watch the Alabama defense last year. Um, and, and he's not the athlete that Devin Lloyd is, and he's not quite as instinctive as Nicobe Dean uh, is either. But he's a little bit of both, and I think he's going to be a longtime pro in the NFL at that position. May not be a pro bowler, uh, but I do think he's going to be around for a while. Um, go ahead, Vito. I was going to say the other name I want to throw out here while we're still talking about the position is DeMarco Jackson out of Appalachian State. Um, I bet on them a lot last year, and he single-handedly <laughs> won me like two bets. Like, dude, this guy in the end of the game just turned it on to another level. Um, and, and like, I don't know, anyone else who bets a lot out there, once you have a guy who, like, wins multiple bets for you, that was this guy. And then I started watching him, and the guy can just play. Yes, he played at a different... Um, division of talent you could say but the thing is is he played extremely well and i also think he's a guy who can translate up to the next level he has a size and even if he loses a little weight he can end up playing safety which i think may even be better for like a strong safety type position or to be rotated in um a guy who would definitely help your team 
Yeah. Uh, so, so I love him, and that's a guy who I actually would like to see the Broncos draft late in, in hmm. the in the take draft. A, take a flyer. I'll yeah. also say too, Drake Jackson out of uh, USC. He's kind of like a Devin Lloyd light. Um, very similar build, similar story. A little less experienced, a little less explosive, but I do think he's going to continue because he's got the frame for it. He's 6'3", 254. I do think he has the frame for it. Um, I've been torn because I don't know who I'd rather the Eagles have between Dean or, or Devin Lloyd. Um, I'd lean towards N'Kobe Dean, but the upside of Devin Lloyd, and I saw Kuiper has the Patriots taking Devin Lloyd at 21, and that is like the most perfect place you could put him. If he ended up in New England, I mean, it's Devontae Hightower all over again. Uh, and just the way that he would be able that Belichick would be able to develop him, that would be like as perfect. Just like I said last year, Zayvon Collins going to Arizona, that was like my perfect pairing. This year, I would say if you could put Devin Lloyd with the New England Patriots, that would be uh, that'd be nightmare fuel, I think, for for the AFC East uh-huh. moving forward. And again, another guy just to have that to match up against Mahomes would be would be perfect. Uh, let's hit on the defensive backs here. Um, the cornerbacks loaded cornerback room this year uh, i think it's the deepest position arguably in the entire draft i would have said edge rusher before the ajabo injury um you have Ahmad garner at the top Derek stingley jr has been starting and going up against sec talent since he was a true freshman uh he was actually even on the little bit of the younger side when he was taken on that won a national championship uh andrew Bo- uh, andrew booth jr from clemson trent mcduffie out of washington uh kair elam from florida and then you get to like you were saying kobe bryant uh, Tariq Woolen's a name from that UTSA Roadrunners team that people like. Marcus Jones from Houston. Um, th- there's a lot of names to like here uh, coming out of the cornerback room. It feels like people have almost universally gone to Mod Sauce Gardner. Uh, he's 6'3", 190, long, lean. I, I totally get it, and I totally see it. The dude didn't give up a touchdown pass or touchdown catch his entire career at Cincinnati. And, you know, the, the That's Americans, pretty good, Jeff. Well, the, you know, the American's not the SEC or the Pac-12 or a Power 5 conference, but it's still pretty damn good with a lot of high-powered offenses. And the way he showed out in the national championship game, too, was really impressive, so I get it. The, the ceiling for Derek Stingley Jr., to me, is the thing that still is giving me pause because when he was at when he was really playing his best, like, oh, the, he, he guess the 2020 year, right? Um, but particularly in that 2019 season, you're looking at this dude being like, this kid in three years might be the number one overall pick in the draft at cornerback. Um, but Kuiper has, you know, him going, uh, has Ahmad Garner going number two overall right now. So who do you guys like right now between Gardner and Stingley? Because I think they're both top 10 players. If you're just ranking them out, they may not both go in the top 10. But if you're going to do a big board, I think they're both in the top 10. I really like them. I think Gardner, I like a little more, but to your point, Stingley Jr. for some reason, I think if it came down to it, that's who I would draft. Like if I had to draft one of them and you had a gun to my head saying pick one of these two guys, I'm taking Stingley Jr. And maybe that's LSU bias, but there's something about it. I'm with you. Like, I mean, listen, we just had PS2, Patrick Sertan, that can come to, to the Broncos. And I feel like LSU corners and safeties consistently over the last decade and a half, right, have produced every couple of years just guys who have lasted in the NFL Yes, Amon Gardner is insanely talented, and I love his physical. They both play very physical, and I think that's why both of them would be. I, I just like that style of play from a corner. But um, Amon Gardner's taller. Derek Stingley Jr. I feel like has more uh, proof in the pudding. He's he's done it 
in a, against the higher competition that he will be facing continuously once he's drafted. And then, and again, to your point, when Garner faced that kind of level of talent, it didn't go so well for the entire team, which is hard to put just on him. But, well, but and he showed up like he he yeah. didn't get burnt like he still played his game. Yeah, the team um, did poor. That's what I'm saying. It's not yeah, like it, Stingley, it wasn't his thing. Stingley is very similar to Patrick Sertan, which is just freak athlete, super smooth, pure cover guy. Isn't quite as physical, right? I mean, like he is a physical guy, but like when we were talking about the cornerbacks in last year's draft, it was like some of the things we loved about Patrick Sertan was just that like he's just all over it. Like he doesn't yeah. have to be overly physical because he's just that good. Stingley has that when he's at his best. I think for him, it's also a little bit of the, is he all locked in on football kind of stuff, which I think is unfair because his best season was his freshman year. And the last two years haven't been as good, but they still comparatively have been ridiculously good. I would lean Amon Gardner. If I had a gun to my head um, for the length. Thank you. The wingspan is ridiculous, yeah. um, and he also is is like, think about it, he's three inches taller than Derek Stingley, um, but he actually weighs like five pounds less. At least the combine he did. So he has that that long. He's a little Richard Sherman esque, um, and, and how long he could like make that last, I don't know. Uh, but I do like Ahmad Gardner uh, a, a lot, just a little bit above Derek Stingley. I'm guessing Scotty that you also have Ahmad Gardner there. I like him a lot better. You know why? Because you can throw out all the X's and O's. You can throw out all the length and all of that when it comes to cornerbacks. Who talks the best smack? <laughs> that hey. is the sauce is boss. It's Ahmad Gardner, man. I'm telling that's, you. You he, know he, what? That's a really good point, Scotty. He's a I stud. honestly didn't feel to, no, that's that <laughs> I, I love there's nothing better than when your corner talks mad shit. And the yeah. like if you can draw two personal fouls a year, it's worth every penny. It's worth so much. That's yep. worth bumping up that pick. You're right. You guys just Scott, see, your argument. See now, here's me. here's the thing though. I gotta I gotta point out this veto. Who was your favorite football player of all time? Who never talked any smack? He talked smack, but he he wasn't the like Deion Sanders, Jalen Ramsey guy. Oh, there's so many. But I mean, my Jim Champ Brown Bailey. never <laughs> Champ did. Bailey. Champ Bailey never did. Like all these great <laughs> like guys. Well, Champ Bailey was notorious for talking smack. He wasn't like a show off guy. Like. He would he would like, basically let his play do the talking, but he would like say one little thing right yeah, before you after play. a good play. He'd be like, yeah. "That's right." But and it wasn't like, like that. All, it wasn't the Richard Sherman, Josh Norman, Keep to leave. But but the thing is, is that like, and trust me, there was a part of me that like, even though as he was crushing it, like all of a sudden when Revis got on, I was like, "Fuck, man, that must be so cool to Revis have like." Was- Revis was Revis got you to the front of the news. Like it was him. It wasn't ever champ Bailey, which it should have been. And that's where I got almost frustrated. It's like, dude, talk like the team media or him, whatever. We need to promote him more because he's a, like, he needs to get that recognition. I, I love that from a corner. I kind of love the the sauce. I kind of (laughs) love the, the quiet assassin though. I'm not going to lie. I kind of love the champ Bailey. Like, oh, I, not, like when Namdi yeah. Asimov was like playing in Oakland and he was just an absolute monster and wouldn't say a word. Like, I kind of love those guys too, you know? Like, oh, yeah. And, and we'll, we'll, we'll switch over to safeties here now in a second, but like Troy Palomalo is the same way, you know? Like, I, yep. love, I love guys who just like straight up let their play do the talking and it's just not in like a, oh, I want my guys to be respectful. Well, no, I, and we I, talked I about the other day. And Bo Jackson, like all these legends are all of that style. And Barry Sanders, uh, yep. the list goes on and on. If you love the history of the game. You love guys that don't talk about themselves that much usually. Um, All right. So let's move to safeties as we wrap this up. Um, My favorite player in the draft, Kyle Hamilton. Kyle Hamilton. I'm with you. Kyle Hamilton is going to be 
an all pro safety. I'm, I, I, I I've will, seen mocks that have the Eagles taking him. No shot. Zero percent chance he up. falls. Zero yeah. percent chance he falls to the Eagles. The Eagles are still banking on Tyron Matthew signing with him, and it's between them and New Orleans, it looks like, which would be a great signing. Um, but Kyle Hamilton, no doubt, no question, absolute lock, pro bowler, all pro, 10, 12-year safety. Uh, you put on his tape, man, A, he's built like a linebacker, but then B, the, the play he had when they were playing, I think it was Florida State in week two, he covered close to 45 yards while the quarterback was like dropping back, he, he finished his drop back, was getting ready to load up, and then all of a sudden, Kyle Hamilton turned around and ran 30 to 40 yards across the field and intercepted the ball. It was one of the most incredible plays. It was Ed Reed-esque. He can play the run at his size. He's incredible in pass coverage. Kyle Hamilton is my favorite player in this draft. Lock it down. Put it away. That kid is a monster. No no offense to Daxton Hill from Michigan. Great play. Lewis Seen from Georgia. Jaquan Brisker, y'all's guy from Penn State. Nobody holds a candle to Kyle Hamilton in this class. I love Kyle Hamilton. All right, I'm done. Jeff, Are you I, sure? I have him number one on my board. Number one. If I'm Jacksonville, I take him. Number one on my board. Because uh, uh, to your point, he could play linebacker. He honestly could play linebacker in the NFL. If he wanted to, like if that was something that the team needed. And, and I just think that his versatility, we talked about this with the Cardinals the last couple of years. Look at what Jacksonville's trying to do, right? And they're trying to build this team. You draft for versatility, any of these teams in the top of the draft who have performed poorly, get someone who's versatile, who can do a lot of different things for your team, figure out where he needs to fit in best. And like this guy, to your point, I think this, this guy's an all pro. I think his mentality, the way he chases down people, I mean, he watches tape and run support, and you'll be co- convinced at that point. Then put on his pass coverage, and you're gonna be like, "Holy shit, what's going on?" This guy, there's no way these two guys exist in the same body. It's he he plays both extremely well, man. He is absolutely incredible. I wouldn't be surprised if he goes definitely like top top five for sure. I think he could go higher, like top three. I really do. I don't think he will because he ran poorly at the combine. He ran a four five nine, and and even and this is the thing too that pisses me off is like Kuiper even said Kuiper has him going eleven to to Washington, and I mean for his sake I pray to God that doesn't happen. Um, yeah. but, I, but like the fighting Snyder's, like he even says he he doesn't have any rare physical tools, and I'm like, watch the game tape. Yeah, Kuiper. I just disagree. Like, yeah. what are you talking about? <laughs> the dude flies. The dude's everywhere. Uh, he's. I, I can't like if you had a chance, and this is an interesting hypothetical, right? Where you could go, you could get like a four-time Pro Bowl. They talk about the number one overall pick. You can get a four-time Pro Bowl defensive end, plays for ten years, or you could have Ed Reed. You would take Ed Reed, right? Every like, time. Like, and I'm not saying he's going to be Ed Reed necessarily. Right, Ed Reed's he's the best built, safety. Honestly, more like yeah. I mean, but he's built more like Palomalu, right? Like he's a guy who you're going to be able to play all over the field. I talked about how I, loved, how I love Zayvon Collins and, and uh, Isaiah Simmons at a, you know, a couple of years ago and how much yeah. I loved Isaiah Simmons, but he was kind of the opposite side of that, where it's like Isaiah Simmons is an edge rusher slash linebacker who you can also put into coverage and play safety. Kyle Hamilton is a safety who you can also move down to the box. And in today's NFL, if you can have a guy 6'4", think about the tight end matchups, right? This is a dude you can put on a tight end in man-to-man or have him covering in zone. Like it's such a rare player, Cam little Ronnie Lott type of guy. Yeah, maybe <laughs> Ronnie Lott. 
I I just <laughs> any anyone who passes on Kyle Hamilton unless you're getting you know and look there's plenty of great players in this draft I just Kyle would Hamilton you, to me is all time. Would you trade both your first round picks up to get him as an Eagles fan? Ooh, both. <laughs> yeah, let's say you had to trade both up to get to the number like three spot yes. to get him. Yeah, yes. I, I think I think you like if you believe he's that guy, right? And I think he is too. Like if you could trade like one of the first and then like two seconds and like a third to move up to the top, you know, six and get him. Yes. And you could, you could but do they, that. You could probably give a one, two and three up and do but, that. But yeah. they never, but they never would do that. Cause it's, you know, they, they're trying to build out the roster, which I right. get, which is why I think it's actually a pretty tough decision. Do you want to give up two first rounders this year right. of the four that you have two first this year, two first next year? I probably would. It would be tough. I am so high on Kyle Hamilton that I think it would be worth it in the long run. But also, if you're going to end up getting Tyron Matthew, then, you know, maybe you don't end up actually needing Yeah, him. then you're probably okay. Um, all right. I want one name for both of you guys for two different questions. All right, so two names in total. Uh, the player, I just gave my, like, absolute lock home run here, and that's Kyle Hamilton. Highest ceiling, highest floor combo by far. Um, who is your, your lock your your absolute like standout guy that you would have if you were if you could draft right now on this list. Any position? Oh man. Any position. I, okay, I'm gonna say a lock, but not necessarily. I don't think he's like a lock of the top player. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But I do think like Olave is a wide receiver lock. To mm-hmm. me, that's a guy who you draft. You know what you're getting. You're gonna get someone productive. The floor is so damn high, and, and I really do believe that. It's a good pick. Yeah, um, I was tempted to go with Sauce, but uh, I think I'm going to say uh, if I'm picking for the 40, Evan Neal. I'm going to say Evan Neal is an absolute for the 49ers. No, don't, fuck oh. the 49ers, just whatever you want. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, is Evan Neal still on the board? <laughs> yes. Dude, no, he just, again, because of the versatility, because we know we like you said what I think is a fair comp in in Trent Williams. And and that's a guy who has had a Pro Bowl season every year of the the 15 years that he's been in the league. So uh, I'm going to take Evan all day long. Yeah, mine would be Kyle Hamilton. But if you're going to ask for another one, I would take Nicobe Dean would be the other one on my list. I I just I just think it's. I just think he's going to come in. He's going to be productive, and, and there's nothing you can really change. Um, how about the reverse? The guy you're most afraid to draft that would that is going to go in the first round? Oh, the guy most – oh, this that's a good one. Man, I would say – honestly, Kenny Pickett. I don't know why. Like he's, I'm just not that high on him, man. I just don't think he's a first – I think if you had him in another year, he might be the third or fourth quarterback taken – in or like in the second third round 28 so. but for me like i just i think he's good but i just don't think in my mind he's that that class of quarterback to be that like first round guy but i mean i've been wrong before on that another position uh, or another player outside of the quarterback position because i think that's an easy one to go through because they're so hit or miss and they move on so quickly but another one i i really do believe would be um daxton hill for some reason out of michigan the safety spot. I just, man, I've seen him play a lot and, and he played well late in the stretch last season, which really did a lot for him. Um, he's been compared on, on a few places to Eric Berry, which I think is like, okay, just slow your roll a little bit. Cause he's not that he's not even, he's definitely not even that big. He's six foot um, one ninety, but 
I just think he's a guy who I'd be afraid to draft. I, I just didn't see enough out of him to, to be like, I'm going to give a first round. Jeff, you always said this. like you want to commit to that first guy. Like you got to go after your first person and be really confident and you got to like them. And he's a guy who I just don't love who's in the first round. What, what about you guys? Go ahead, Scott. Sure. Uh, I'm going to fade you, Jeff, and say Traylon Burks. One-dimensional. That's it. He's a big guy. Catch the ball. Big deal. Yeah, no. I don't think that's true. He actually uh, he, ran... he had a, a mediocre quarterback uh, thrown to him in Arkansas. Yeah, and, he, and he made K.J. Jefferson look fucking incredible. Yeah, so did the Penn State also, defense in the bowl game. He also... <laughs> He also <laughs> caught uh, – he ran 19 routes out of the backfield last year. You can kind of use him in a bunch of different places. Uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm going to I'm gonna push hard back on against that one. But, hey, we're all – hey, it's the draft, right? We're all going to be right and we're all going to be really wrong. For all we know, like, Kyle Hamilton is going to be like, the biggest bust in NFL history, right? Right. Um, the guy that would concern me the most drafting this high, just given the the up-and-down nature of what it could be – I mean, obviously Malik Willis is, is in that conversation, but – as much as I love him, Jordan Davis scares me. Um, I think we're talking highest ceiling at his position and potentially lowest floor. I mean, you you brought up Albert Hainsworth. Everyone thought like, oh, Zion's going to get to the league and Zion's going to take care of himself. Oh, Albert Hainsworth got his big contract. He was awesome, you know, when he first played. I forget, where did Albert Hainsworth play before? Tennessee. That's right. He and was a, yeah, he was a standout with the Titans. When he stepped on the dude's face. And Vince um, uh, Vince Young was the quarterback there. For yeah, yeah, the same that's right. Time. Um, and, and he, so he could be unbelievable. He could shed the weight. He could be Fletcher Cox, or he could be Albert Hainsworth. You know, and, and unable to play. I I don't like doing that because I love Jordan Davis, the person. He's a, he's a like a big kid, but he's still also really new to football. He didn't start playing football until his senior year of high school when recruits are like because he was a basketball player. And, and recruiters are like, why aren't you playing football? You should play football. And then he just happens to end up getting a, a full rights scholarship to Georgia and is the centerpiece of a defense that wins a national championship. So again, that ceiling is so high. But and I and for the record, I would take the risk, but it would scare me a, a lot. And the other name I'll, I'll say here is is Charles Cross out of Mississippi State. Played in a Mike Leach offense, barely had to do any run blocking whatsoever. Seems again a little bit like we know he can pass block. He's a pretty good pass block, um, you know, tackle. But we don't know if he can run block. We don't know about his toughness. Uh, and and I just have concerns coming out. I mean, historically, you look at the offensive linemen who played for for Mike Leach. They don't have good NFL careers. Andre Dillard, the most notable recent name, played at Washington State for Mike Leach when he was there. And Andre Dillard was soft as hell. My my favorite line: soft as baby shit. Like. He just wasn't and still isn't a good pro. I'd be concerned about taking Charles Cross in the first round if you're looking at an offensive lineman uh, uh, for the uh, for the Houston Texans is where they is where it's where Kuiper has him. But anytime okay. I'm reading a mock draft and I see a guy go, I'm going to stick the first line and Kuiper's thing is I'm going to stick to my board here. Yeah, and you just say I'm going to go yeah. there. That means that you don't really feel that great about him, you know, or, or feel that strongly about him one way or the other, and that's. That's concerning to me. What do you got? Speaking of boards, boys, how about the mock draft next week? Are you excited for that? Mock draft <laughs> a week from uh, today. We're going to be recording our, our mock draft. We're going to mm-hmm. do it like last year, one by one. 
We're going to go 10 picks, take a break, 10 picks, take a break, 12 picks. We'll wrap up. Uh, and we're each going to – we'll do a random number generator, see who gets the first three uh, picks, and uh, we'll do that all in the pod. And, and we're each going to have our big boards ready to see uh, to see what we got here. And um, I don't know, but you guys, all this draft talk has gotten me really, really excited. So uh, I'm pumped. I'm chubby. Yeah, this is like – talking dirty a week before it's gonna happen like this is this is absolutely just incredible to get ready for i mean the draft is so fun um and i have to make this comment obviously but like uh, i told you guys this last year but for the listeners who are new this year like multiple years in a row when i was in middle school i called out sick in sixth grade and in seventh grade and i'm pretty sure in eighth grade too and i stayed home sick and everyone else left the house and went to school and work and i printed out and taped in my bedroom the roster of every NFL team, all 32, all of the draft things, had multiple mock drafts, all just wrote like on the wall, did all this stuff. And my parents would come home and be like, you weren't fucking sick. The draft's coming up, isn't it? And I'll be like, yeah. No, yeah, I was is. sick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right? you know? And, no, huh. But it would just be this moment of like, yeah, it was. I needed this day to prepare. Thank you very much. And I had the fever. And I'm so glad I, had I did the draft that. fever. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> Thank you, Scott. Yeah, that's what I had. Yeah, I did have something. <laughs> Amazing. Um, all right, we're going to wrap it there. I know we keep promising random life stuff, but we will have time for it on Friday's pod. Uh, post Ryan Leaf. Get excited. Ryan Leaf, coming yeah. your way. Uh, lots of stuff with him. More draft talk, more NBA playoff talk along the way as well. Uh, thank you guys, as always. Again, apologies for the sound. Um, and hopefully things uh, will get all that squared away here in the, uh, the rest of this week. So for the boys, I'm Jeff. Thank you for listening. Subscribe to the YouTube. Uh, follow us all on social media at Read Option Pod. Pretty much everything that's out there. Uh, and we will talk to you guys on Friday with the great Brian Lee. Take it easy, everybody.